All right, Exodus 19. I don't know how you're feeling right now. I've got a lot of sensory overload going on. Uh, Everything sounds different. You sound different. I suspect I will sound different. The instruments sound different. Everything smells different. (laughs) Everything looks different. Uh... I'm feeling all kinds of things. Most of it good. But uh, this morning in uh, my, my devotional reading here, it's the Valley of Vision, and I just go through one a day, give or, give or take. This, this was um, in the reading this morning. Help me. Never to mistake the excitement of my passions for the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Never to judge my religion by occasional impressions and impulses, but by my constant and prevailing disposition. You know me, I'm kind of tender, I'm kind of like tearful Todd uh, in many different ways. And, And oftentimes I know I'm in a better place, actually, if those tears are coming. Today I really can, I have no idea where I am. I, um, I'm excited, thrilled with what the Lord is doing and has done and is providing for us, and this is amazing. But yeah, I got a lot of sensory overload. This um, Exodus 19 passage, as if you were able to hear, has a lot of sensory overload in it. Right? The people are coming to the mountain of God. God had, had told Moses at the beginning, he met with Moses on the very same mountain and said, the place you're standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And God met with Moses on that mountain in a bush of flame, but not burning. He says, I'm going to send you to a people. I'm going to bring you back and worship here. The primary purpose that God brought Israel out of Egypt and formed them as a people. Up till, till now they've been Hebrews. Habirus. And now he's forming them into a nation. Uh, Israel. And here they, make, here they make a pledge to God. They, they haven't even heard all that God has to say yet, but because of their experience of liberation, victory, and now the the quaking of the mount. Some suggest that it was a volcano-type experience. Others say, well, the text actually says that the fire and the, the quaking happened on the mountain, not through it. Whatever. God's there. And the people are at the foot of the mount experiencing the presence of God like they never have before and they quick to make a pledge whatever you say will do I don't even know what he's going to say yet but whatever you say we're going to do and that ought to be in a sense the kind of response that we have now we have a pledge as a people a national people right the pledge of allegiance we call it I pledge allegiance to the flag And on it goes. Uh, 1892, October, 
was the first time that, that the, the first form of the pledge, um, only about 23 words or so, uh, was recited in public school. And it was a celebration of the 400th anniversary of Columbus discovering the new world. And uh, a kid's magazine had this, this promotion, a PR thing, to get more magazines sold, to have the kids say this pledge of allegiance. And it's developed since then. In about, what, 1954, in the midst of a Cold War, the phrase was added, under God, to distinguish us from godless countries, godless politic, under God. Uh, 2004, uh, an atheist father, concerned about the well-being of his child, and the forceful imposition of a statement of faith upon an unsuspecting child went ultimately to the Supreme Court and uh, the justices majority said this does not at all violate the separation of church and state. That, that phrase, by the way, simply means that the government doesn't force a certain denomination or a certain religion but the freedom is all over and in every element of our public life together. But uh, one justice famously said this is really just a, a deistic confession, consolation, something of that nature. How much of our pledge, be it the Pledge of Allegiance, or, or a biblical pledge like the people of Israel are, are making now is really just that. It's a, a deistic acknowledgement, but has very little real ramification, implication in how we're going to conduct life and business. It's something we confess and acknowledge on Sunday morning, or 9.05 when the bell rings in the classroom, or whatever it might be. But here, in fact, is a pledge, and it is a commitment. There's several um, highlights as we go through the passage. We'll work through it relatively quickly in survey form. Actually, there's so much here. The verses 7 to 9 will be our first little coat hanger, so to speak. Uh, this, this is a people that is committed to the word of the Lord. Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord and the Lord said, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud and the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe. Believe you forever. Now, now that is... Uh, a really important theological statement. We hear and we believe. Paul notes this in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith, faith is not something that is intuitive. Faith is not something that's inherently organic within you. Faith comes by hearing something 
of the voice of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. And it enters you through the organ of the ear. That's the organ of faith, if there is one. And the Spirit does a work within the life. And you come to believe what God says. This is, this is crucial. And that's why we are here, and this is why we are Grace Bible Church, so that we can hear the Word of God. And I hope that you are more comfortable. I hope you're a little bit more spread out. You're certainly more spread out than you were downstairs, aren't you? But all this is not just so that we feel comfortable and feel good. This is so that people can stay long enough to hear the Word of God in our praises, in our prayers, and in our preaching. We want people to stay long enough and come back at least one more time to hear God speak through His Word, the Scriptures. Notice also the role of elders, and, and we'll have to cover this so we get to the pastoral epistles sometime, but you see how important is the role of the elders. Moses calls the elders, the elders go to the people. So crucial, so important that we have good elders, men who hear the word of God and bring it to the people. That, that is the one qualification that, that distinguishes an elder from any other office in the church, able to teach. And here they are, hearing the word given to them through a mediator, through Moses. You notice how he's going back and forth. Some six, seven, eight times in this narrative, he's Goes to the people, goes to God, goes to the people, goes to God, tells God what the people said, tells the people what God said, back and forth. Now, it's not as if God doesn't know and didn't know, then can't hear. But it, it's symbolic of, of a distance, which we'll come to in, in a few more moments. You, you can't just assume to come into the presence of God. You need a mediator, someone who goes between, and it's for the people's sake, not God's sake. But God accommodates himself to a people that they can indeed get his message. Well, indeed, the Hebrews respond the way that they're supposed to. Whatever he says, we'll do. You ever have those camp meeting responses? Retreat responses? Whatever you say, God, we're doing it. We're going for it. Sold out. Well, that lasts about a week. Hopefully longer. This is why we don't, uh, like I read in the devotional a few moments ago, can't trust just what I'm feeling and sensing, but that there's a consistent readiness to hear the word of the Lord and walk in his ways, committed to the word of the Lord. Nancy and I were at IFCA uh, convention this last week and um, the messages will come up in time, and I would commend them to you. One of the themes is the, the desperate need for biblical literacy. I, I, I'll admit, I was challenged. I was convicted. We, we as a people, a Bible church people, we, we do need to 
be more intentional amongst ourselves about biblical literacy? Do you know what God says? Your life can only be holy. Your life can only be pleasing to Him the more you know Him. And He's revealed Himself to us in this, the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. He hasn't just left us as orphans. He isn't just deistically up there setting everything in place and watching what might or could happen. He, he has involved Himself in His creation and with His people by giving us His living and active Word. And there's a, a deep connection between a life of obedience and knowing what God says. You can really only obey purposefully and intentionally when you know what God says. We don't want to just live accidentally in His will. Well, along with this, verse 15 goes on to talk about, you know, uh, verse, verses 10 to 15 talk about actually being consecrated for the purpose of God. We're committed to His Word in order that we might be consecrated for His purpose. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. And on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you'll set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds that long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And the people said, we're ready. Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. I suppose that last phrase is kind of, what? Ominous. We won't spend too much time there. But notice, notice all the different parts of life that are impacted. Your clothes. Your time, wait for the Lord three days. Your, your space, don't get too close, don't get too far. Your body, your marriage, your sexuality, all of this is wrapped up, bound up in a life that's devoted to God. Every part of your life is impacted, should be impacted, and every part of your life displays what you know about the Word of God. When, when things don't look right, guess what? There's something about God you don't know or you're choosing to forget. All areas of life, clothing, clothing. Oh, we don't want to get overly rigid and legalistic again, do we? You know, there was, there was a day when it was required of the communion stewards, which we'll have in a, in a few moments, that they had to have coat and tie. Now, I just choose to. I like it. Now, don't get legalistic at me and say, oh, you, you stuffy. No, I didn't tell you you had to. I just told me I had to. It's all right. But what is it about clothes? Well, you know, we're so accustomed, particularly in the United States, 
I mean, can you close your closet door? If you can close it and you open it, like, the things fall out? We, we, we're accustomed to having variety, choices of clothing. Some of, some of our, our presidents uh, have, have made the choices easier. Just a navy suit. And only colors that go with navy ties. Don't even have to think of, I mean, you know, they, they work hard. No, don't think too hard about this. They, they work hard, and there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And to be honest, they simply cannot afford to waste anxious moments. What am I going to wear today? The Navy suit. The rest of us were like, I don't have anything to wear. And we add. And we go to the outlet mall. And wherever we add. In ancient days... In ancient days, they didn't, they didn't have variety of clothing. They couldn't just go to the closet and put something else on. This is why washing was so important. And, and they didn't bathe every day. <laughs> so, being clothed, and being washed was, when you did, it's like, wow, I feel like a new person. And that's what it represented. That's the symbol. A new life. A new person. When Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, what did God do? He clothed them. That's what's inherent in washing your garments. Now, again, we're, we're, not, we're not going to get rigid and legalistic and say if we're holy, we're all going to look and wear the same thing. We're all going to have the same length brim hat that goes around. We're going to have the same width of band. That, that's, that's the Amish people. I, I know you love to read those romantic novels. Let me tell you, that is not what it's like. It is cultic. They do not believe in the inspired and inerrant word of God. And the way of holiness and salvation is measured by whether you have the right brim or the right colors. Don't go there. Don't go. That's not the faith. Don't make your own ways. But there is, there is something to this. Now, Nancy and I, last week, we were downtown Covington. And we, we, the, the first few days, we're on our own for meals. I don't know Covington, but there's this place that has tacos. We said, well, we'll walk. And if we look in and it doesn't look decent, we'll just casually walk out, go somewhere else. We get there, they're standing right at the entry. Like we walk in, they look at us, would you like to dine outside? No, no, inside would be good. They confer with each other. We have another restaurant next door that's much quieter. <laughs> Would you like to go over there? Same menu. Sure. Walk outside. I mean, walk next door. 
we were the only ones there. <laughs> that was quieter. We're looking at each other like, did we wear the right thing? Did we wear the wrong thing? Did we not have the right colors of the rainbow on today? Because there, there was a parade. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to overanalyze it. But we certainly did look different. Uh, the other, other, well, on the way home, we stopped in South Haven on the way up. Uh, what day? Friday? And um, we thought, well, let's just walk out to the, the lighthouse quick, and then we'll get back on the road and get home. And there's this, this wedding party out there in, in the, I don't know if it was a bad air day. You know, it was steamy, foggy, on the lake. You couldn't hardly see out there. It's July. It looked like it was October. It, there's this wedding party out there taking pictures and, and they're in their wedding suits and in the wedding dress and you know, like, I'm, why are they doing that? Well, you know why. You can tell what they're doing and why they're doing it simply by the outfit. You don't, you don't go to a bride and say, well, what do you got that on for? You know. So, your clothing, your clothing communicates values, beliefs. It does communicate to a, a certain measure what you know about God. Now, now the same would be true with, with our time. To wait for God three days? Three days. Your space. Don't get too close. Don't touch. Can you imagine being a parent of a toddler? Well, at least a toddler you can pick up and walk, walk away. But a teenager? Parent of a teenager at the base of Mount Sinai? And God says, don't touch. Like, I mean, you're in dread for the life of your kid. You know that you know what you know what they're gonna do. Do not touch. And they get closer and closer. You're gonna die, kid. You know, it's it's like one of the Ten Commands. We'll get to that one day. Obey mom and dad, lest so that you might live long in the land the Lord your God will give you. Like, I mean, this is real. You touch that mountain, kid, you're dead. Well, I know it sounds like psychological child abuse, but no, the holiness of God. Okay, space. Now, I know we call this a sanctuary. We're not good Protestants. We still call it a sanctuary. Uh, I, I'm fine with the term. It's sanctified space. Holy space. This is where we gather for worship. But, but the reality is, no, this, this, this is just a room where we gather as the church to worship God who saved us. There's, there's nothing inherently special or holy or sanctified about the room or the chairs or the carpet. They're, the people. The people. When we gather as the church, that's what makes it special. 
because God promised that He would be with His people in a particular way when they assemble. So, yeah, time, space, and, and our sexuality. Just one little comment, right? Don't go near a woman. Teenage boys, just take that for what it says. We read this, and if we're too quick not to get the whole scope of, of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we, we might say that man-woman relations are a result of sin and dirty and unholy. That, that's not what this is saying. Just in the quick, what this is saying is it's so good that man-woman relationship is so holy that God doesn't want you to elevate it above intimacy with Him. And, and you, you can see how in a society, in a culture where physical intimacy huh, trumps everything. Love is love. We, we have, have a society have elevated physical intimacy above everything, including God who made man and woman in his image. And what you do with physical intimacy reveals, demonstrates, manifests what you know about the God of creation who made humankind male and female in his image. And the devil doesn't like the image of God and has from the history of the world worked to undermine what it means to be created in the image of God. Your whole life is to be consecrated for the purpose of the Lord. Verses 16 to 19 talk about uh, a consumption, might we say, consumed by the presence of the Lord. This one might be a bit more elusive, but let's read verse 16 and following. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast that all the people that camp trembled. Like they're overwhelmed. They're consumed with the presence of God, the existential, experiential presence of God. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, surrounded, shrouded in smoke. Not to hide himself, but to veil the utmost of his glory so that he could be closer to people who couldn't otherwise be close to him. God accommodating himself for a frail finite, mortal, and sinful humanity. What a gracious act of God to enshroud himself in the cloud that he might come close to his people. And it, that whole experience envelops his people. They're consumed by this presence of the Lord. Fire is repeat throughout Exodus the cloud is also all throughout this 
Exodus experience. And even when the tabernacle is established, the fire and the cloud are there. they're, They're symbolic of the presence of the Lord. Both of his of his justice and judgment, but also of his nearness, his imminence. The cloud is there to lead and guide his people and to protect them. And our Lord Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all these things. He left in Acts chapter 1 when he ascended to heaven to the right hand of the Father. He ascended in the cloud. And the Bible says that when he comes back for his bride, he will come and we will meet him in the clouds. See, the the way the Old Testament people experience God is paradigm for how we too will experience Jesus. Here's 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This Mount Sinai experience anticipates the great return of the Lord Jesus Christ to gather his people together and dwell with them in in intimate union forever and ever. The fire, the clouds, the trumpet call, the bride and the groom consumed by the presence of the Lord. And verses 20 to 25 go on to talk about this, the, the limitations in a way The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Got his stairs in that day. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves. To consecrate is to purify, to make holy, to sanctify Otherwise, the Lord would break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This limitation, uh, a fencing of the mountain, a guarding of that mount. It it warns us, even of the New Testament people, it warns us not to presume upon God. We can come confidently to the throne of grace, boldly to call upon the Father because Jesus has ushered us into the Holy of Holies. He has brought us there and we are seated there with Him in heavenly places. Ephesians 1, Colossians 3. That's your real place. And you can come confidently and boldly, but don't come 
casually. Don't come presumptuously. He's a holy God. The creator. And you are the creature. Made by him. And saved by him. It warns us of an unthinking assumption on his grace. Of forgetting his wonder. Of just skipping tra-la-la into his presence. Of forgetting that you need a mediator. That you need Jesus to usher you into his presence. To wash you and cleanse you. To consecrate you with his blood for the forgiveness of sins and a restored fellowship. Not to get too lax in our talking to him or about him. Taking the name of the Lord in vain is not just cussing and swearing. You can even take the name of the Lord in vain while you think you're praying. Simply over-repetitive use can be a vain repetition. Taking his name vainly, emptily. Or asking for things and applying it to things that really aren't worthy of him. That are trite. So let us be constrained by the holiness of God. We are to still fear the Lord. And that's the beginning of a wisdom. But we are invited to draw near. Because of Jesus. And Moses would appear again on a mountain. And Jesus would be there uh, transfigured in, in all of his glory. And Peter, James, and John would be on that mountain and they would, they would see Moses and Elijah and Jesus. But what they heard was the voice of the Father in heaven saying, this is my son, the real mediator. Listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus is the living word of God made flesh. Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. Listen to him. And when you hear him, believe on him. And the more you hear him, the more you know him, the more your life will be transformed into his image. That's the picture of the mount. The mount of transfiguration. So from this, Here's the summary. The, the word of God transforms our 
our best intentions, our pledge allegiance, transforms our intentions into a life, a conduct, a behavior. And holiness is simply obedience to the revealed truth of God's Word. And every part of your life, inside and outside, your clothing, what you do with your time, how you use your space, your marriage, your sexuality, are all outward demonstrations of a heart's devotion to the Lord. We can and do draw near confidently, but not carelessly or casually. And don't ever stop to be filled with the wonder of God. Mindful of your need for Jesus as your mediator, the sprinkled blood so precious by which you are cleansed, by which you are made holy, by which you are drawn near to God. So, Father, as we come, we are grateful that you have, in fact, revealed yourself to us. But that you would do that, we'd be lost, coming up with our own ways, and forgive us when we do anyway. There is one way to approach you, and that's through your son, Jesus. Lord, as, as we have seen, we are to hear your word, to listen to Jesus, and so believe. Increasingly make us a people literate with the scriptures. To know you. Awaken within us a desire for Christ in his word. May we know the grand narrative from Genesis to Revelation, from the Garden of Eden to the Garden of the Lamb. And we know our place in that story and live it to its full. Lord, make us to be a holy people, for indeed you alone are holy. Amen.